Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the program where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this program is to be a source of inspirational truth that will not only awaken a deeper hunger within you for more of God, but also a source of encouragement when it comes to maintaining a deep passion for the Lord. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering practices of the temple, and it reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and to maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Hello, and welcome to Maintain the Flame this week. I am your host, Keith Collins. I'm blessed to know that you are listening today, and you know you might be in America, you might be in another country, wherever you're at, I pray that what you're going to hear today will be an encouragement to you, that it will be a challenge to you, that, that what you hear will stir your heart to where you come to a place in your walk with God, to where you know there, there's got to be more, more of Jesus, more prayer, more intimacy with the Lord, more power of the Holy Spirit more victory and freedom to walk in, more authority over darkness, over demons. Friend, there's there's always more in God's kingdom. And, you know, the Apostle Paul instructs us, even when it comes to gifts, spiritual gifts, to desire spiritual gifts, not so that we can be looked upon as people that are gifted and talented or people that move in power and authority and all those things, but so that we can be a blessing, so that we can enrich and encourage the body of Christ as well as be a source of hope and freedom and deliverance for a lost and dying world. So again, we're just we're blessed to know that you're on board today and I pray that that you're going to be touched today. I pray that you're going to be encouraged today again. So, you know, the last couple of weeks we have talked about revival characteristics and I wanted to come back and try to finish up this subject today and just share some some closing thoughts um, on revival characteristics. Now, let me say that I can talk about revival every week. Um, you know, it's just a passion of my heart. If you've listened the last two weeks or even, you know, programs that we've done over the last two, two and a half years or so, you'll, you'll often hear me talking about revival, whether that be personal revival um, to where each of us can walk in a measure of hunger for the Lord. We can maintain the flame of God upon our hearts and even build that flame. That, that, that flame can get hotter and brighter. We can get closer and closer to the Lord. Um, or I oftentimes talk about you know these things that we call visitations or these corporate uh, movements of, of the Lord where the Lord pours out His glory on a people, maybe a city, maybe a region, maybe a nation. I mean, we see a lot of history where the Lord moved in power and sovereignly demonstrated His glory, His holiness, His ability to do what only He can do 
among a people within a certain geographical location. And even though, of course, those that were impacted by that location where the Lord was moving took that out from there and spread that fire, um, you know, it's clear that there are seasons where the Lord literally just manifests His glory, His tangible presence in certain areas. So we've talked about that some over the last couple of weeks as well. And um, of course, a lot of this was really spurred on this whole topic here because of a visit I had to Asbury, I think the ninth day of the outpouring there. So, you know, people were still coming to the campus, and there was just a real glory there. And and then, if, again, most of you know that I was part of the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida, back in 1995 to 2000. I was there for a good amount of that revival and was so impacted and so encouraged and so transformed and changed. But, but I wanted to come back today and just really kind of talk about some very specific things that I believe are connected to real visitation. Again, I'm talking about corporate-type revival right now. Of course, you know, we could always, again, talk about personal revival and, um, you know, going deeper in the Lord and living a revival lifestyle. I believe in all that. I've taught that for decades, literally, and have attempted to live that way myself and even the churches that we've pastored. We've always tried to convey that and walk that out. Um, but at the same time, I do think it's important to recognize that there are seasons. There are times where the Lord really does just move um, in a place. And again, I think a lot of times or maybe every time it's connected to a people that have prayed and believe God for a moving of His Spirit. We see this in the Hebrides Islands. We see this in Wales. We see this um, in, at Azusa. In other words, there, there's always prayer and um, uh, a posture of calling out to God that we see connected to great revival. So let me let me read one more time this this narrative or this passage that I've been reading for the last couple of weeks out of Isaiah. Isaiah 64, 1 and 2. Isaiah said, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence again embrace what he's saying here he's he's depicting god literally manifesting his glory in such a way that it's like fire burning wood and and uh, a kettle or a cauldron of water a pot of water on top of that wood coming to a boil in other words it's kind of a a violent depiction here in the sense that revival um, God rending the heavens, so to speak, and coming down is not this easy thing that a lot of people think it to be, even though, of course, real revival brings joy and peace and all those kind of things. But but a lot of times we forget that, that God's a consuming fire, according to Hebrews 12, 29. We see on Mount Sinai where the Lord came down really in a, a violent way in the sense that the mountain would shake, fire and smoke would billow up from the mountain. So again, we know that God is a God of love, long-suffering, mercy, grace. He's a shepherd. I mean, we understand all that. But at the same time, He's a God of holy fire. He's a God that that um, executes His will sometimes in a sovereign way that that whether it be the Ananias and Sapphira picture or whether it be Sodom and Gomorrah, 
Um, I mean, it's it's sometimes intense, and I think we need to embrace that and recognize that oftentimes in revival, the intensity of God's nature is revealed as lives are so radically touched and arrested, people's hearts are arrested, that they um, they come to deep repentance, sometimes even groaning and wailing in their in their sinful condition as they are confronted with the holiness and the fire of the living God. So so again, this is what happens when revival begins to be poured out or when revival begins to manifest among a group of people, among a nation, among a community, among a church congregation. The Lord begins to reveal his power and listen, it's not always comfortable. Um, it, it's really not, and I've shared a little bit that you know I I, I watched people even during the Brownsville revival days that were just gripped with such deep repentance that I mean they would literally sometimes be thrown to the floor because they could not stand because the the glory of God was so intense and people just weeping bitter tears that led to deep repentance that led to true salvation. So so this is a picture of what happens in revival, but. I want to just look at some 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 points here that I think are important for us to to recognize. So again, we're talking about characteristics of revival or revival characteristics and I want to give you just some of these in in order today. I'll number these. So number 1, I think one of the things we see during real revival is a fresh awareness or a revelation of Jesus high and exalted in the midst of his church. In other words, there's a consciousness of the Lord's presence and his holiness being restored among the people of God. Let me give you a case in point. If you study the the Welsh revival from night that happened in 1904 and impacted that part of the world for quite a while, there are many months, maybe even a couple of years or so, and, and, and the fruit of it, you know, way beyond that. But but one of the things that stands out to me was the fact that there were many songs that were being sung and even written in the midst of that revival setting that were so Christ-focused. I mean, in other words, Jesus was being glorified. Now, we live in a generation today where a lot of our songs that are sung really are about how I feel and what I want. And, you know, and some of that might be okay to a certain point. But I think in real revival, Jesus is so present and he's so illuminated that the focus is about him. He is rightly restored in the midst of his church in seasons of outpouring. He is seen in his glory, not just a baby in a manger and a, a young Jewish man on a cross, but He's seen with fire in his eyes. His his face is shining like the sun. His hair white like wool. A sword protrudes out of his mouth. This is the way that John saw the Lord on the Isle of Patmos that day. And I think that in the midst of real revival, a revelation, a fresh understanding and view of Jesus is rightly restored in the midst of the church. And we recognize that only he is worthy. Only Jesus is worthy, worthy of our passion, worthy of our prayers, worthy of our adoration and worship, worthy of our ministries. Our our ministries are nothing without Him in our midst. So revival brings this fresh awareness and understanding and even um, proper perception that Jesus is 
here. He's in our midst. So that's number one. Number two, God's divine sovereignty takes preeminence. In other words, in revival, God's sovereignty, it's not only revealed in the timings of God, but also the manner and the measure of the way he moves us. Well, in other words, his assistance and his direction are overwhelmingly present in real visitation or real revival. Therefore, um, really as a result, programs, production, human talent, they always take a back seat as God's glory and power take center stage. Listen, I, I encourage you, if you're a leader, if you're a pastor, um, whatever, if you're a church planter, if you're an evangelist, whatever you are, you might be an apostle or a prophet or, or a teacher, but make room for God's sovereignty. In other words, Maybe God wants to interrupt your program and your production this morning, or maybe, you know, in a corporate meeting, and, you know, we have our set, we have our order of service, and all the things that so many people do, and oftentimes, even though maybe the gospel is being preached and we're singing good songs, oftentimes, if we're not careful, we get into a routine and a rut that is nothing but production and human talent and human planning, and the Holy Spirit is not allowed to move. So listen, in revival... Um, sometimes God will take all that stuff that you plan and completely lay it to the side as his glory moves in and his lives are radically touched and radically changed. So the sovereignty of God, in other words, as I've been in these type of settings, whether it be Brownsville or, or different settings, um, even in, in Asbury recently, a few weeks ago, one thing that, that stood out to me was God was in charge. I mean, he really was. And there was not... Um, chaos. Now, I'm not telling you things cannot get out of order sometimes. Of course they do, but that's why we have fivefold leadership. We have, you know, those that are um, elders in the church that are able to to lovingly but, you know, firmly bring order and correction if needed. However, we don't not allow the Holy Spirit to move because we fear that somebody might get out of order. Um, we allow the Lord to use us as, as, as leaders. If you're a leader, you know what I'm talking about, hopefully. But at the same time, I think there's a danger of not allowing the Spirit of God to move in our midst, even in revival settings, because we fear that somebody might make a mistake or might make somebody feel uncomfortable. Friend, let me just say this. God's much bigger than that, and hopefully you, as if you're a leader, and I'm not, maybe you're not a leader, but if you're a leader, like over a church, an elder, an apostle, a, a pastor, whatever that role might be, hopefully um, you're walking in a place with the Lord where you are able, through wisdom, and through love, and through scriptural authority to bring order if something gets out of order. But listen to me, please do not throw out the baby with the bathwater, as we say so often. In other words, um, and if you're in another country, that might not make sense to you, but let me say it this way. Um, in other words, just because everything's not perfect and people can be immature, and they might even be sincere, whether it be with prophecy or word of knowledge or or, or what our tongues interpret, whatever it might be, some things can be out of order. And as leaders, we, we just deal with those things. But at the same time, we want the Spirit of God to move. In revival, friend, the gifts of the Spirit operate. Sometimes people are, are gripped with sin and they, they wail and they weep. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, especially the sovereignty of God taking the steering wheel in revival. So um, again, I, I could talk about this second point for a long time, but I hope you hear my heart and I just want to encourage you 
that the sovereignty of God is always present in revival. In other words, we have to stand back and say only God could be doing this. This is not connected to the talent of a man, the education of a woman. This is not connected to the learned behavior patterns that we've assimilated by default through all of our years of ministry. This is God moving. So number two, again, the the sovereignty of God takes preeminence in revival. Number three, I think spiritual preparation has to happen in revival. I, I think it's a natural thing that supernaturally develops. In other words, really, revival is like this strategic attack on Satan that comes from God, and it infuses his body, his church, into action. And really, as a result, preparation is essential, I believe, in the midst of revival fires. In other words, the, the natural reaction, which is supernatural, is really to, to train up, to equip, to, to empower leaders in the midst of the fires of revival, and to release them to do the works of Jesus in their generation. So revival is an attack on one level. On another level, it's the Lord responding to the cries of his people. But when God begins to move and people wake up, they realize the condition of a dying world and oftentimes a backslidden church. And as a result, we begin to prepare. Listen, the fivefold ministry, according to the Apostle Paul, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are to equip the saints of God, equip the body of Christ, the church, to do the works of Jesus, to do the works of ministry. And how much more in the midst of revival are we to prepare people to do what God has called the church to do to begin with. Revival kind of resets the norm, if I can say it that way. It reestablishes the plan of God that we see from the first century church to where there would be a community of believers that, that live a revival lifestyle within that place. We're training. We're equipping. We are developing. We are challenging. We are prophesying over. We are laying hands on and commissioning people to go forth and to do what God has called them to do. So again, revival is a revivification. It's a bringing back to life. It's setting the people of God in a position to where the Lord is present, where the sovereignty of God is preeminent, and where we are preparing people to do what God has called us to do as his body. Number four, the fear of the Lord is restored. The f- Listen, we need a revival of the fear of God, my friend. We have lost the fear of God in much of the church. That's why there's so much sin, adultery, mismanagement of funds, um, you know, unauthorized authority, all this craziness that we see among so many leaders. In revival, the fear of the Lord is restored. In other words, the holiness of God's nature creates a healthy fear that leads men and women to righteousness and to purity of heart and motive. In other words, sin becomes exceedingly sinful in the presence of God's undeniable glory and holiness. Psalm 23 comes into view. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Um, Friend, revival restores the fear of God. Some of you hearing this right now, maybe you have hidden sin in your life. Maybe you're a leader and you're hiding sin. Listen, you need the fear of God, my friend. 
My brother, my sister, you need the fear of God. You are not hiding anything from the Lord. He sees what you do. He knows what you do. There's nothing hidden from him. You might hide it from your church. You might hide it from your spouse, from your mom, your dad, whatever, but you're not hiding it from God. In revival, the fear of the Lord is restored. Listen, during the Browns revival, I've made mention of this already, but I want to say it again. I was on the prayer team. There were many nights when people would come to me, and I was like a 30-year-old man at the time. People that were 20, 30 years my senior in years that would confess to me about adults. Some leaders, pastors, they'd been in adultery with their secretary. One told me, one man told me he'd been stealing from his church for many, many years. And so, in other words, in revival, the fear of God is restored. Friend, we need a healthy fear of God. Yes, he's the lover of our souls. Yes, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Yes, he's a father. I understand all of that. And we never want to lose that reality. It's the fathering heart of God that sets the captive free. But listen, friend, he's also holy. And his very nature confronts iniquity. His very presence confronts sin and compromise and 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 guileness and and gossip and all the other crazy things that are present in the midst of so many people. God in the midst of revival restores the fear of God, the fear of Himself. So that that's another dynamic of real revival. Um, number five, the suddenness of God happens in the midst of revival. Um, you know, we read Acts chapter two. We read of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where the Lord suddenly came as a Russian mighty wind after those people had prayed and, and tarried there. And in revival, God's work may be sudden and even unexpected. Listen, oftentimes even believers are caught off guard or unaware while while fear and even astonishment grips their hearts. Listen, it's almost like revival is God um, bringing this surprise, so to speak, this this holy convicting surprise on his own people. And, you know, the effect of this um, is the sudden working of the Holy Spirit in revival. And it, it, it's striking sometimes in the conviction of, 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 of or, I'm sorry, of how it convicts sinners and even church people. And often without any preparatory concern or even thought for spiritual things, a sinner will be suddenly seized with overwhelming conviction of sin. And again, a lot of these sinners are in the church. I mean, they have you know, bought into a lie of a false message on grace or whatever. But when God shows up in holiness and power, suddenly they're convicted of sin. Suddenly they are gripped. Suddenly they are um, they are stirred in their hearts. And, and man, they are, I mean, and I've seen this. Literally, the Lord just arrests them supernaturally and divinely. So my friend, this is another dynamic of revival. Um, number six, I'm trying to go quickly here, a divine magnetism. Listen, revival trumps all of man's efforts when re- with regard to evangelistic measures and strategy. It, it, it literally provides provides a supernatural drawing or beckoning that creates a desperation and a violent pull on the hearts of man, I believe. Listen, what what men can't do with programs and stuff, revival supersedes that. Now, let me say, I, I believe we need to do outreach, we need to do evangelism, all that kind of stuff. At the same time, in real revival, there's like a supernatural divine magnetism that draws men unto the Lord. And I, I've seen this myself. It's a, it's a glorious, glorious thing. Um, number seven, um, apostolic heaven-opening preaching 
is present in revival. Listen, revivals are clearly marked with the power of proclaimed truth that pierces the hearts of men as well as the door of heaven. Listen, apostolic preaching is preaching with unction. It's preaching with power. It's it's a demonstration of the spirit and power that 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 faith does not stand in the wisdom of men, but it stands in the power of God as Paul reveals to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So, this powerful Penetrating preaching is often present in real revival. And then number eight, an eternal consciousness or awareness. Like I could spend an hour here, but eternity comes into view in the midst of revival. It's 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 it takes first place. We 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 learn not to live for the things of this present world, but we do, as Paul said, we set our affections or our desires on things above, not on things of this earth. Time and eternity become very, very real. We understand why people are willing to give their lives for a people group or uh, a remote island just to reach people or the mission field or whatever, or the planet church. In other words, people leave successful careers that maybe they've been educated to do. Why? Because God maybe directs them in a different way or even in the midst of their career. That career now becomes a mission field instead of just a place to make money. And why is that? Because eternity. Heaven and hell become real, my friend, in the midst of revival. The reality that without Jesus, humanity is dying and going to hell becomes real. The reality that we will live with the Lord in eternity if we are born again of the Spirit of God. These elements become very real. So therefore, our priorities change. Our goals change. The way we pray changes. The way we treat our family and children and spouses and, and relatives and friends. And everything changes, friend, in the midst of revival. Why? Because eternity becomes more real than anything else. Friend, you, you begin to live with an eternal mindset. Paul talked about light momentary afflictions compared to the eternity or the glory that awaited him in eternity. And, and Paul lived in the midst of eternity even while he was suffering persecution and being beaten and all the things that he went through. These were light and momentary afflictions. Why? Because he had an eternal paradigm. He had an eternal perception. So in revival, eternity comes into view and it becomes very present and very very real and and lastly um, number nine the reality of real pray prayer and intercession with God's heart with God's burden is restored Jeremiah the prophet cried out my agony my agony I writhe in pain I think the old King James version he says my bowels my bowels I writhe in pain. In other words, he felt the burden of God's heart for Judah as he cried out with God's heart, with God's pain. In revival, friend, the burden of the Lord is restored. We embrace the heart of the living God and we become instruments, tools in his hands that he uses to further accomplish his eternal will in the midst of a generation. Friend, that's what happens in revival. So listen, I, I could go on and on here, but I, I pray that you've been challenged today. I pray that you've been stirred. I pray that you've been encouraged. Friend, I, I, I pray for revival. I, I pray for revival in the church. I pray for awakening in America. I do believe we're seeing some mercy drops. I, I, I saw a report just yesterday about Purdue University where the Lord's moving. There's just a lot of amazing things going on. But you 
Be faithful and watch what the Lord will do with your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this time that you've given us all to be together on this program. Father, we pray that lives would be touched, that hearts would be transformed, that revival fire would burn in each of us, that we would all walk in a revival lifestyle. But Lord, pour out your spirit upon America. Pour out your spirit upon every continent of this world. Pour out your spirit upon your people. And Lord, use us for your glory as never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey friend, visit us, Keith dash collins.org also keithcollins.net you can also visit us at our ministry website at impactgf.org thank you so much for listening today we love you we're honored to be with you again today and let me encourage you to tune in next week at the same time for another episode another program of maintain the flame may the grace of god be present in your life today Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins today. I trust that you've been blessed and encouraged as you've listened. And if you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then let me encourage you to listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. May the fire of God burn brighter and hotter in your life. God bless you.